our agency, our, our capacity to act is always restricted to just this moment. You can't act tomorrow, today. Like right now is the only time you have to act. So how much can you do right in this moment? Well, not, not very much. You can only do a li- little bit, can't you? But then once you do like <laughs> a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, it's those, um, those small steps. Welcome to the Digital Habit Lab from Mind Over Tech, a place where we explore our relationship with technology. I'm your host, Menka Sangvi. In each episode, I'll be joined by guests from different walks of life as we observe how we use tech, reflect on how it sometimes uses us, and experiment with ways to make sure it is actually helping us to do what we value most in life. Each season of our podcast focuses on a theme, and this one is about intention. We're asking questions like, what is intention? What does it feel like to be intentional? And why is it so important to the way we use technology? Today, we are joined by Michael Brady, who is a mindfulness teacher and the founder and director of Youth Mindfulness, which teaches people how to share mindfulness with children and young people. One of his passions, which you'll hear in the conversation, is exploring what science is telling us about the nature of human beings and translating that into practical wisdom. In this conversation, we talk about how in any one moment, there are many different forces influencing us and how we can still be ourselves and aligned in the middle of all of that. We talk about the connection between intention and habit. We explore the idea of intention as something not just in the head, but as a state of being and an inner embodied wisdom that allows us to be spontaneous. And we also talk about how important it is to be kind to ourselves when we're trying to be more intentional. Hi, Michael, and welcome to the podcast. So as you know, the theme for our conversation today is intention in the context of our relationship with technology. And as a mindfulness practitioner and researcher and teacher yourself, I'm sure you're really self-aware of how intention plays out for you. So to start, I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I just want you to share the first thing that comes to mind. When I say the word intention, what does that bring up for you? Um, the first kind of thing that came to mind was that intention is, is core. Like it's, it's kind of fundamental. And is there a time or a place when you tend to feel really intentional? I think there's definitely times when I'm not intentional. I can, I can reflectively look back at them and think, mm, that was certainly not intentional, you know. I probably spend most of my waking hours and sleeping hours, of course, being not intentional. Um, I, think, I, I think probably during, during practice, during meditation is when I'm very intentional, you know. I think also when I'm being creative, I think there's, there's kind of an intentionality there. It's kind of, there's a kind of a flow, so it's not like a, a kind of conscious, you're, you're kind of flowing with something, but there's an intention to be in that flow. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how do you actually know when you're being intentional? Is there a feeling or a thought process that you recognize in yourself? That's a really good question. I think part of it comes down to a feeling, and this might be an odd word to use, but a feeling of power, a feeling of agency. Hmm. A feeling of, like I can contrast it to, for instance, sitting on my phone, scrolling through YouTube or something for far longer than I should, you know, and um, and all intentionality is gone. I've kind of lost, if you like, uh, 
I, I'm kind of almost so influenced by the algorithms of YouTube that I've kind of lost agency over my own actions. I mean, I'm going to lose control, you know? Yeah. And I'm maybe going to use some spiritual language here, but if I, if I am a kind of a being in this universe that has some creative power that can actually influence this universe and not only be influenced by reality, but actually influence the reality that I'm a part of, when I'm on my phone, I've kind of relinquished all of that, you know, like just scrolling through YouTube. I'm kind of, I kind of just influenced by, you know, the way the phone interacts with the dopamine circuitry in my brain, et cetera, et cetera, you know? But I think when I practicing meditation or when I'm engaging in work that I feel is meaningful and I feel like I'm using my creative energy and creative capacities, there's a sense of, there's a kind of visceral sense of, of agency and, and power actually. And I don't mean a kind of power over others, but like a, a just a being empowered. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it comes through in a very kind of felt way actually. Hmm. The way that you're describing it right now, it's more than a, a feeling or an emotion or a thought. It's actually a state of being, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You kind of feel it as a state of being. And I think it feels really good. I think people want that state. I think that's why people seek out things like, you know, even, even like playing sports, you know, like playing tennis or like rock climbing or whatever it might be. When you're, when you're engaging your faculties in this kind of ways, there's a sense of, um, that sense of agency and power and intention are all quite close together, you know? Yeah. And, and so the way you're talking about it in the language of power, it makes me think that the opposite is when I'm not being intentional, I'm feeling powerless. And, and it's, a, it's a physical thing as well, isn't it? Like the way I, I personally feel it, 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 when I'm passive, then there's a dullness in my body, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that's what, that's when we really are very powerless, that's probably what depression starts to look like, you know, when we mm. almost have no agency. So let's see how this relates to mindfulness, because one of the core things about mindfulness is that it requires stepping back and becoming a detached observer of things, everything, including one's own state of being. So how is it possible, do you think, to be mindful and to be intentional at the same time? There's this interesting paradox, of course, with mindfulness practice, because with mindfulness, we start to see that you know, things are just happening, you know, and even things within our own mind are just happening seemingly out with our control. So, you know, thoughts just pop into awareness and emotions just pop into awareness. But I think the thing that mindfulness offers us is ordinarily we, we react reflexively to whatever arises in the mind. You know, there's maybe some stimulus like a, like an email comes in and it causes us to have this uh, emotional reaction. And if we have no mindfulness, no awareness, then we're just kind of caught in that. It can affect our mood and then it starts to affect our behavior. And then before you know it, our agency over our, our entire day or our capacity to be intentional on in that day has been maybe um, undermined by that chance event, you know, that email coming through and causing this emotional reaction and then this reaction into behavior. But I think, I think what mindfulness kind of paradoxically in a way kind of allows is us to, to step back and not be so controlled by that. So at the same time, we see that while all of this stuff happens that we have let, little influence over, but yet at the same time, 
Mindfulness gives us the capacity to be not so controlled by it. We have some freedom. When it comes to the concept of freedom, it's such a big concept. What is the role of intention in that, do you think? One thing that comes up is what is the nature of intention in itself? Um, we're kind of at a time in human history where even the notion of free will is quite difficult for us at the moment. You know, there's a lot of scientific discoveries of the last few hundred years have really kind of driven us to this idea of, well, you know, the kind of scientific determinism and that we are, we are influenced by so many conditions and so many things acting upon us. Is there any such thing as free will? Is there any such thing as intention, you know? Hmm. And yet from a kind of phenomenological point of view, from a subjective point of view, like intention feels very, very real. And like our society is still very much based on intention and the idea of individual responsibility. Like for four years, I worked with young men in prison and, you know, we have a legal system that's based on the notion of individual agency and individual responsibility for one's actions. Mm -hmm. And if you make certain choices, then you get punished in certain ways. Yeah. Every, every young man I worked with in the prison had experienced lots and lots and lots of trauma and adversity and had really awful kind of cards dealt with them in life. So it's like that kind of saying that, you know, if not for the grace of God, there go I, you know, that would be me in that situation, that kind of thing, you know? Mm. So I think it's a really difficult issue. And I think from that kind of lens, I don't know if, that, if we can actually get anywhere, but I think from another point of view, maybe more of kind of an intuitive kind of sense, we have this sense, and like, it's, it's, I guess, why you're doing the what you're doing, Menka, that intention is really important. You know, um, a teacher of mine said to me that intention is the agent of awakening. It's the start of our mindfulness practice, the start of everything, you know. Um, so I think there's a sense, and this, this is very strong in kind of spiritual traditions and personal development kind of context that if you can connect with your authentic intention, if you can connect, connect with what's really, truly important to you, your own aspiration, what you're calling in life is, then that's how you kind of move towards flourishing. And I think with a lot of young people, they're kind of grasping for that, but they're very much caught by the kind of, the the influences that condition them into certain intentions, you know? So whether that be, oh, I want to be an Instagrammer and I want to be, you know, I want to have these really expensive trainers or I want to have, yeah, the desires are shaped by um, these influences. I think it was, the philosopher René Girard who talked about mimetic desire, that we actually pick up desires. We, we desire what other people desire. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, there's that interesting thing that like we're, our intentions are shaped by the intentions of other people, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so our desires are not necessarily our desires and that our intentions are not just our own intentions. There's a social element to it. When I start to think about intention in the context of the bigger picture that we're talking about now, you know, with so many different forces at play, it doesn't make me feel little or small or powerless. It actually just makes me feel a bit more compassionate towards myself and towards others. It just makes me want to cut everyone some more slack. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think in a lot of ways we overestimate our capacity yeah. to... to um 
to be agentic or to be powerful, you know, uh, to, to create change or to, to, to act in ways. Like we only need to look at, you know, the amount of people that, that sign up for gym memberships, you know, at the start of the new year. And then often, you know, within two weeks, most of the people have stopped going to the gym, you know, and that's not to, that's not to criticize people, but it's just to show like how, how when, when habits are really deeply ingrained, mm. they're hard to shift. And yet there is, we do have this kind of amazing capacity to like spark that intention, you know, and like one, one step, like, like one time going to the gym makes it so much more likely that we'll do it again. Or one time sitting and practicing mindfulness and bringing awareness back to the breath, bringing attention back to the breath starts to stoke that habit, you know? And this makes me think a little bit about, um, James Clear's book. I think his name's James Clear, um, Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. He talked about these, you know, the power of these tiny, tiny changes, yeah. And I think in some ways, like that's all we can ever do. Cause in, in one, all our, our agency, our, our capacity to act is always restricted to just this moment. Like we can, you know, you can't, you can't act tomorrow, today, like right now is the only time you have to act. So how much can you do right in this moment? Well, not, not very much. You can only do a little bit, can't you? But then once you do like <laughs> a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, it's those, it's, it's those, um, those small steps. I think I remember um, a quote, I think comes from the Dhammapada from the Buddha that said something like a heart becomes filled with love just as a bucket becomes filled with drops of water. So just little by little, by little, by little, we can, we can transform the mind, you know? There's a definition of habit which I find really fascinating. It comes from scientific literature on psychology and habit theory. So habits are described as something that override intentions in terms of what we actually end up doing, the actions that we perform. So when something becomes habitual, there's an uncoupling or a disconnection between actions and our intentions. Things are just happening automatically at this point. And I find this a sort of peculiar way of looking at habits as a sort of intentionless kind of mode of being. So that's really interesting because I, I, in a way it, sound, it makes it sound like action coupled with intention is primary. And then the uncoupling is like the, like the habits become the secondary thing. Yeah. But I would say the habits are primary and the uncoupling is the thing that comes next. You know, that's the things that requires intention. And you could also say that that requires the, the activation of the, the kind of frontal cortical areas of the brain, you know, which in human beings develop last. Like, it, it, like they develop, um, I think it's not until our kind of mid-20s that the prefrontal cortex fully develops. So this is the, this is the part of the brain that allows us to inhibit our instinctual responses and regulate kind of our emotions. And then also it's that same part of the brain that evolved last as well. So both like in, in younger life, I think kids left to their own devices will just follow the habits that follow whatever instinctual response comes up. And of course, I think a lot of good parenting is about setting up habits and structures that help kids kind of go smoothly through life and feel a sense of security, you know? And then of course in the animal world or like, you know, the, the, the kind of, um, before these kind of the, the prefrontal cortex of human beings developed, animals kind of always operate by instinct and 
and, and kind of in habitual ways. I don't think habits are a bad thing at all. I think habits are like inevitable. I just, I, there's no way we could operate in life without them, you know, and, and operate without these kind of instinctual responses. And um, we just think about how difficult it is to drive a car when you have to use all of your intention and attention. Like when you're learning to drive a car because it's conscious, it's so difficult. But once mm. it becomes automated, it becomes so easy. Yeah. And I think the, 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 for me, the core of agency is embracing habits and deciding what are the habits I want to have in my life. You know, do I want to stare at my screen on my phone in bed for two hours before I go to bed every night? Or do I want to have a different relationship with that? Um, yeah, and, 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 and I think that kind of conscious reflection and, and like almost like habit design hmm. Is really, uh, is really, really, could be really, really powerful. Yeah. Do you think that there's some kind of a clash between being spontaneous and being intentional? Where we've been looking at this question of intention and agency, the discussion has been a little bit around kind of like the head, like like that kind of thinking mind of like, what is going to be wise for me here? What would I like? You know, almost like I'm going to sit down with a pen and paper and write out the morning routine I'd like. But I, I also think there's a there's a space for um, a lot of the time in life we respond in ways that are more. I want to just say a little bit more come from a slightly um, kind of lower in the body kind mm-hmm. of place, mm-hmm. um, and maybe even lower in the brain actually like down in the limbic, down in the emotional parts of the brain and down in a kind of embodied sense. So I'll give you an example. Say you're out, of the, the, out, out with friends, okay? You're out in a pub with friends. Mm-hmm. And I know if I'm in, with my friends, my intention would be to really be there with them, right? To really be there, to really feel a sense of ease and to really feel um, that I... Like with my friends, there's a lot of joking, there's a lot of laughter, there's a lot of taking the mick out of each other. So I want to be there in a way that you can kind of really enter into that, you know? And that's not something that if I come to my thinking mind when I'm in the pub, right, that's not going to help me. (laughs) So it's more about getting the emotional space into the right place, you know? So if I am really stressed with work or if I'm working so hard that like that kind of, that kind of activity of brain of thinking about getting things done. And then I'm, I'm there with my friends and I can't really connect with them because I'm just so thinking about to-do lists or that kind of drive mode. And I'm, the, the, the whole kind of social connection system just isn't really activated. But if you do things like love and kindness meditation, that actually activates all of that kind of social connection circuitry you know, and, and, and really gets you into that sense of like readiness to connect with others. Then when you're with them, you can actually kind of hand over to like the spontaneous spontaneity. So it's like, you don't need to engage your thinking mind to be intentional. You can just trust the wisdom of your kind of emotional sense, like emotional capacities to flow where they want to go. And I think that like, for me, a lot of meditation practice is about that is about activating, um, the wisdom of these kind of deep, this deep emotional circuitry we have within us, hmm. you know? That's really helpful to hear that. What you're saying there about being out of touch with our emotions, it reminds me of 
you know, when you go online and you're constantly being nudged by algorithms to buy this or make friends with this person or yeah. consider applying to that job. And I mean, it can be useful, but it can also undermine what we really want. And it's fascinating how easily we're influenced by it. I read this research study in Kevin Roos's book, Future Proof. It was an experiment done in the University of Minnesota a few years ago, and they gave people a music playlist and asked them to listen to the music. Actually, in some of the groups, they could only listen to the samples, and in other groups, they could listen to the whole song. But in all of the groups, each song had a star rating next to it. You know how they do in Spotify or Pandora? They were told that the stars are based on their previous listening preferences. So they thought that it was a personalized music playlist, when actually it was just random. And what was amazing, the results of this experiment, was whether people could listen to the whole song or not, everyone said that they preferred and would pay more money for the songs that had the higher star ratings. So even with something as simple as listening to music, right, that experiment suggests that we're often in our heads looking at the star ratings, for example, rather than checking in with our own actual feelings about it. Mm. Would that not also be kind of like a social conformity thing as well? Like there's really strong evidence that like we conform to what others in the group do. So if we've been told like this is what everybody else appreciates and we're like, oh, right, we, then we start to appreciate it more. We like it. Uh, yeah, so this was it wasn't a rating based on what other people liked. The rating right. was was the algorithm saying that this is what you're going to like based on what you've listened to in the past. So it's more um, a social conformity in terms of respect for authority if we think of artificial right. intelligence as being intelligent and superior and insightful. Yeah, that's a really interesting question in itself. Like how do we because all of these social conformity studies look at yeah, they, they influence other people's opinions have on us. But now increasingly we're going to live in a world where it's algorithms that are going to be giving their opinion, essentially. Yeah. And I wonder what, if, 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 if we start to relate to algorithms, like with the same kind of perceptual categories that we apply to human beings, just because that's, that's what we're wired to do. We're, mm. we're wired to see things as agents, you know, even if it's a, even if it's an algorithm. Yeah, so that's the thing I'm concerned about. When we're not so connected to ourselves and not in touch with how we actually feel about something, that's when we become more suggestible, more easily influenced by people and increasingly by machines. And so to resist that, we may try to become more rigid, to stay in control. But earlier, you know, when you were talking about going to the pub with your friends and how mindfulness helped you to become more present in the moment... That's a different approach. Yeah, I think I think it would be a shame if 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 we saw being intentional as as being somehow antithetical to being spontaneous, because a lot of the best stuff in life comes from being spontaneous. True. You know. Yeah. Michael, you spend most of your time teaching mindfulness to children and to teenagers, right? And so I want to know from your perspective, how can we support young people to be more intentional? It's more about, it's more about um, their agency to choose their own way and really connecting to what's most important to them. You know, because especially I think as, as t- 
teenagers are kind of coming into themselves and coming into the world. There are so many influences and so many factors that are saying, you should do this. This is what's important. You should follow this path in life, mm-hmm. you know? And our sense is that, that like, while all of these things can be considered and taken in, there's actually, what's really important is to be able to connect with the body because the body gives us information about what we desire and what's important to us, you know? So the more that we can connect to the body, the more we can kind of connect into our inner compass, our inner sensing system. So that's, I think that's what, um, where, where kind of mindfulness and intention with young people can be really, really helpful. Hmm. And in some ways, I imagine that young people are more used to connecting with their bodies and getting that information from their bodies more than say your average 40 year old. Yeah, I think you're probably right, Menka, because I think that's where we start, you know? Like if you think about like a a young baby, what it's responding to is visceral sensations all the time. And it responds to what it perceives. Um, And if it perceives threat or it's unhappy about something, it starts crying. So in a way, babies are very connected to a kind of direct expression based on the, the visceral experience they're having. And I think as we grow up more and more and more that gets conditioned out of us, you know, and then to some degree that's helpful. That's, that's wise. Like you can't, you know, you wouldn't have a, like a, you know, a 20 or 30 year old who, you know, just starts freaking out every time one person, you know, sits too close to them on a bus or something, you know, and like, um, but by the, but the same token, I think, yeah, we, we, Adults can be quite removed from their internal sensing, what's important to them. Yeah, that kind of inner wisdom. Yeah. Like. And so in a way, in a way, we want to kind of, I think, integrate that information without without going into just expression straight away. It's not easy, I don't think. Like the, I think the first step to to before we can be intentional, we have to first of all perceive. We have to, first of all, have a context. We have to, first of all, say what's happening, what's the situation. I think, I think, I mean, it's very, very obvious in the kind of uh, social space. Like if we want to be, if we don't somehow integrate all of the, the, the um, information that comes up from our body, kind of comes up from emotions in the relational space, then we might have the intention to be a wonderful partner. We might have the intention to be really, really kind, really, really sensitive, really, really empathic, understanding, all of these things that we would say are a good partner. But if we can't, if we can't be in, in, in connected to ourselves and what's actually happening within us, it doesn't really matter how much intention we have. That makes so much sense. I often think of mindfulness as expanding our ways of knowing. And this kind of helps us to become so much more aware of what's going on for us, but also for other people, which is foundational. Because as you say, without clear information, we can't act clearly or indeed intentionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Michael, so let me ask you one final question, which is a little more personal. I assume that there are some digital habits which you feel you could improve on yourself. And I'd sent you that pack of experimentation cards, the Mind Over Tech Digital Habit Lab cards, to look at. Was there any one thing that stood out for you as something you'd like to do differently in your own relationship with technology? I think one of the first things, actually, that I see there 
is avoid early morning tech use. You know, it's something that's enjoyable, but it's also a little bit of a bad habit is um, when I wake up in the morning, I really enjoy like kind of connecting, like getting a sense of connecting with the world, what's Mm -hmm. happening in the world. Like, you know, browsing the newspaper, uh, you know, online or or looking at Twitter and these kind of things. Um, So I I do enjoy that. Um, But, you know, other times I've also had, um, I've also had other morning routines as well which sometimes maybe a, a bit more, uh, maybe set the day up in a better way, you know? It's like what you said at the beginning where you're saying that sometimes there's one or two things that you see early in the day, which then have this whole cascade of dominoes in your day. and you. Yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah, just being a bit careful about what um, what information you expose your mind to first thing in the morning. Yeah. Um, that makes sense, yeah. I think it's really important with all of this is like this whole conversation or this whole kind of like exploration is kind of uh, held in that sense of compassion and compassion for self, you know, and just a sense of kindness. I think when we get into like intention, we can start, it it seems to be the place where we really give ourselves such a hard time. It's so true. And like, I think, I I think that just causes so many knots within ourselves. So if we have that kind of base of like kindness and taking it easy on ourselves, like that is first of all I think like fundamental like I think otherwise we're kind of like like forget it because we're just gonna just gonna give ourselves such a hard time and 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 just tie the mind in knots and but also then I think all of like these strategies and these approaches and all these different things can become so much more um workable you know yeah if it just comes from this place of like kindness you know um yeah yeah amazing Thank you so much for taking the time for this conversation, Michael. I really appreciate your perspectives and also your prompts for us to approach these questions around intention with an attitude of kindness. No, thank you, Mike. It's been really, it's been really fun um, to explore these kind of crazy topics. Yeah. After our conversation, Michael did a little mindfulness practice with me. He said it was something that he often did throughout the day, especially when he's on his phone a lot. We recorded it and uploaded it to our website. So if you go over to mindovertech.com and look under the podcast section, you'll find it. We've also included over there some links to the research practices and the books that we mentioned in today's conversation. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it for you. If you did and you could leave us a positive review on whichever podcast app that you use, that would be great because it helps other people to find us. And as discussed earlier, you know how much star ratings help people make decisions. A big thanks to Michael Brady. To find out more about him and his work, you can visit youthmindfulness.org. And most importantly, I'd like to thank you for listening. Finally, we have a great newsletter, which you might find useful. So feel free to sign up. It's full of ideas and inspiration and practical tips too for experimenting with your digital habits. I hope you can join us again next time. Bye for now.